It's January 29th. My name is David McAdam, and it is my privilege to read through the scriptures with you. So we are in the midst of the Passover events and God's intervention to bring his people out from bondage and into the promised land, prefiguring the greater exodus performed by our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we learn in the New Testament is our Passover. So beginning with Exodus chapter 8, the second plague, frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart, and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and present yourself to Pharaoh, as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people." 
Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Chapter 9 Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. In today's readings, we learn that the miraculous plagues become too much for Egypt's magicians to even attempt to emulate. Magi of Pharaoh's court are baffled and stymied. The sorcerers of Egypt could use their secret arts to cause frogs to come out of the river to give the appearance of rods turning into serpents and water into what looked like blood, but now their art of imitation fails. The Lord instructs Moses to strike the dust of the earth with his rod, and the dust will become lice that will plague the Egyptians. The magicians attempt to replicate the sign, but fail nor could they do anything similar to having flies swarm Pharaoh's palace and all the Egyptian homes, nor could they make the land of Goshen, where the Israelites dwelled, into a no-fly zone. And so it was with the plague on the livestock and the boils on the men and the animals. What we see as a more localized plague in Exodus 8 of a hailstorm with thunder and lightning more terrible than anything known in their history 
will take place on a far larger scale in the events described in the book of Revelation, when the first trumpet sounds and hail and fire mixed with blood assaults one-third of those who dwell upon the earth. The people of God who dwelt in Goshen did not experience anything of the judgment that terrified Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Moses gives further proof that the God of the Hebrews is sovereign over all of nature by lifting his hands to the Lord and having the storm instantly cease in Exodus chapter 9, verse 33. This sign alone should have been sufficient evidence of God's authority and Pharaoh's need to humble his heart and concede to Yahweh's demand to receive worship from his people. Instead, Pharaoh stubbornly refuses to let the Israelites go. How were the magicians able to apparently duplicate the first signs? They were skilled in trickery and illusion. They were also involved in the occult, worshipping gods of the underworld, so probably were invoking the activity of Satan and demonic powers. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, when he refers to the Antichrist manifesting the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. In the end, the Lord will blow him away. The Lord Jesus at the second coming will kill him with the breath of his mouth in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It is worthy to note that Pharaoh's magicians only made the matters worse and brought further judgment upon themselves because their so-called miracles only increased the harmful effect of the plagues rather than reversed them. Now to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning with verse 13, where Jesus welcomes the children to come to him. Verse 13, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to himself, All these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me 
will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Each of the synoptic gospels, that is those gospels that record the sequential events in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give the account of the rich young ruler who professed a desire to follow Jesus. He represents all that most people would love to be, rich, young, and one who had influence with others, a ruler. But there was something lacking. He knew he needed eternal life. But how to obtain it? What good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He asks. Jesus answers the question with another question that will reveal the faulty presuppositions of the questioner. Why are you asking me about what is good? This is often the method of the Lord. He knows that we have certain presuppositions, some true and some false. It is important to have these presuppositions examined. Here Jesus exposes the false assumption of the rich young ruler. It is one that many hold today, that mankind is basically good and that good behavior is the result of good decisions based upon good thinking from a good heart, that we're all basically good guys. Jesus contradicts this assumption, saying, there is only one who is good. Jesus attacks a basic presupposition of the Enlightenment philosophers, particularly Rousseau's belief that man is naturally good. He also challenges the assumption that eternal life can be earned. Instead, Jesus affirms the fact that man was made in God's image, to be a mirror of God's nature. A mirror is not the origin of the image. It is not the source of the beauty it reflects. The quality of the mirror is quite different from the quality found in the origin of its reflected image. The origin of the image which humankind is designed to reflect is God himself. The only one who is good is God. The goodness of the mirror is determined by its ability to reflect an image clearly. If a beautiful or handsome face is reflected in a mirror, we don't compliment the mirror as being beautiful or handsome. A good mirror is one that is in good condition and in a right position in relationship to the source it is to reflect. It is clean and unbroken, and if it is so, no inherent goodness will be noticed in the mirror, only the source image which it reflects. Mirrors that bring attention to themselves are those that are dirty, cracked, or distorted. Then Jesus rephrases his original question to reflect what he perceives as being the real question behind the question. Jesus says it's not a matter of obtaining life, but of entering into life. What does that require? Keeping the commandments. The rich ruler asks, which ones? Jesus quotes a few of the commandments that the rich young ruler would be familiar with. He carefully omits one of the Ten Commandments, that is covetousness and proves that he has been and continues to be a lawbreaker, for all have sinned, in Romans 3, verse 23. The rich young ruler's self-justification blinds him. He sincerely sees himself as a keeper of the law. What am I lacking, he asks. His question reminds me of the self-deluded and self-absorbed prince in the film Enchanted, when he asked the question, Do you like yourself? What's not to like, he glibly explains. Jesus responds to the young man with a little reality check. The commandments are given to show that we are broken mirrors. Of the Ten Commandments, 
Jesus must have deliberately withheld thou shalt not covet in order to zero in on what truly gripped the ruler's affections. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus clarifies in this episode that entrance into the kingdom of heaven, or entering into eternal life, is impossible for those who are looking to anyone other than the one who is good for their justification. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 25 to 26, we read, When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With people, entrance into life is impossible. Salvation is casting all hope and trust upon God. He is the source of all goodness, and only through His Son's perfect living as the express image of God and His atoning death on the cross can He be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. What is impossible with men is made possible with God. The Apostle Paul clarifies in his letter to the Romans, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Psalm 24. We read of the King of Glory, a Psalm of David. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul, to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Psalm 22 pictures Jesus in the past as our suffering Savior. Psalm 23 pictures Jesus in our present moment as the supplying shepherd. Psalm 24 pictures Jesus in the future as the supreme sovereign 
Who is this King of glory? The God of Jacob, the God of all grace. Grace takes care of our past, securing our pardon, our present, securing our peace, and our future, securing our position, as He has victoriously won the battle for us, that heaven's gates be opened to us. This psalm may have been written for the occasion when David brought the ark into Jerusalem. We will read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, and 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through chapter 16, verse 3. It has the form of an antiphonal chant, with the leader asking questions in verse 3, verse 8, and verse 10, and the congregation answering in unison. As believers who recognize Jesus as the Messiah, we can see that He is the answer to these questions. He is the only one qualified to stand in the holy place, and we can only have access to God through Him. He alone is the King of glory. All gates must open up to Him. Now reading from Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. This is a good reminder to be careful about what bargains we make with our neighbors, strangers, and even friends. Be careful with your words, your pledges, and your promises to others. If you promise more than you can deliver, you may need to seek deliverance from the foolish agreement that snared you. We are admonished to humble ourselves and to put relationships right as soon as possible. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, it is good to recognize that we are at best broken mirrors. We need your salvaging. We need to be made new. We need the perfect mirror of your Holy Son, Jesus, to represent us as flawless in your presence. We thank you for your word and the constant reminder of our need for all that you have done, all that you are, and all that you have provided through Christ Jesus, in whom we are hid and with whom we are identified. Through the shed blood of our Passover lamb, we have deliverance from the wrathful judgment of death. Through his intercession and intervention on the cross, we have deliverance from the Pharaoh of this age, Satan, and the hard taskmasters of sin. His death on our behalf has opened up the way for our escape from our old life in Adam. Now, by the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, our cloud by day and our fire by night, we can walk through the wilderness of this world and experience the promised victory and the inheritance that has been won for us. We claim it and we live it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining with us on our Bible reading journey. If this podcast is a blessing to you or if you have any questions or comments, you can always contact us by email. Our email address is podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to receive a free written copy of each day's commentary on the one-year Bible readings of the day with charts, illustrations, and maps, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. And there you can also learn about New Life's ministries, download free growth tools, such as how to know God personally. 
And don't forget to subscribe or follow this one-year Bible tour guide wherever you get your podcasts. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom.